Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 11. Uh, we'll be looking at the entirety of that chapter, a very uh, powerful chapter. And as you're being generous this morning, uh, if you're visiting us, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here. And we're grateful you joined us to worship Jesus, and we hope that we encourage your hearts like your presence today encourages us. Uh, Last week, I asked a question in the message on the parable of the vineyard workers. You might remember the story. A man had a vineyard, and he hired some people to work, and he hired them all day, and those that worked one hour got paid the same as those that worked 12 hours, and there was some grousing amongst the employees, and Jesus in the parable had the the vineyard owner ask this question, "Am am I allowed to do what I want with what is mine? And of course, the answer to that question is, of course he is. And so if God gives grace to whoever he chooses to give grace, is he not allowed to do that? And we know the answer. So the question last week was, what do you do when God offends us by doing something for somebody else that we wish he wouldn't? Today, I want to ask you a different kind of question. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Have you truthfully, and it's okay, you're not in trouble, but have you ever been disappointed that God didn't do something for you you wish he had? or you needed him to, or you felt was just reasonable that he, because he could have, he should have. Gee, this is going to address that today. We're going to be looking at 53 verses, and so to be able to do this proportionately, we're just going to walk the text. And there's not like major points that are going to appear on the screen. I'm going to tell you how we're going to break this down. We're going to, we're going to set up the context in the scene. We're going to talk about the reaction to what Jesus does or doesn't do. Then we're going to talk about Jesus' reaction to those who reacted to him. And then we're going to wrap it all up with how are we supposed to process this text in our own life. And that's the way we're going to walk this text this morning. So you want to have your Bibles open in front of you. It will appear on the screens, but if you have your own Bible in front of you, it would be helpful in your future study. Let's begin setting the scene. Verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now John records this. We're taking this from John's gospel. You might remember that John focuses quite a bit in his writings on the love of Jesus for his people. The famous John 3.16 is found here, for God so loved. The fact that John never refers to himself when he's identifying himself in one of his stories, John never refers to himself by name. He always refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. Now, that's not saying that Jesus loved him more than anybody else. What he's actually pointing out is, I know he loved me. John wants us to get that Jesus had real relationships, that he really loved people. He didn't love them because it was his job. He loved us because he was who he was. And he's pointing this out, that he would go to the town of Bethany. Now, Luke chapter 10 tells us that whenever Jesus came to the town of Bethany, outside of Jerusalem, about, about two miles away, or or so, that he would stay with Mary and Martha at their house. You might remember if you've been with us through this study that there was that moment that they had Jesus over and some people were gathered and Martha was cooking food and she came out and she said, my sister Mary's not helping me. Why is she not helping me? And, and Jesus said, Martha, you're worried about so many things. This is more important. So we know that this, they have a relationship and we know the last time Jesus was in Bethany at the Feast of Dedication, he was threatened to be stoned and so they whisked him away from the city to protect him. And he hadn't been back. And then he gets this notification. This man who he has a relationship with, a friend of his who he loves, is dying or sick. And would Jesus come? Excuse me. Verse 4. 
Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This sickness will not end in death. The most important statement that I can make this morning is to pay attention to the nuances of who Jesus is talking to and what he's saying. He brings up a a violent point here for people today. He says, in this moment, this will not end in death. He does not say he will not die. But listen to what he says. To every single person grieving and hurting here this day, this will not what? End in death. Yet each one of us knows that we're going to cross through that doorway one day. Unless Jesus appears in our lifetime, every one of us is going to walk through death. And Jesus' words of encouragement is it will not end in death. As a pastor this week, there have been four or five funerals. There are people in this room here today who have said goodbye to a loved one. Who have, who have said, they hear these words and they think, but it did end in death. Now listen to what Jesus said. It won't end in death even though we all die. And God's glory will be shown through this. He didn't say he wouldn't die. The distinction is significant. But when sickness, grief, or death comes to a friend of Jesus, there's a promise here. That's not how this story ends. Verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Yikes. Can we call this awkward? I want you to know that Jesus was a 40-minute walk from their house. At the, at the rate of three miles an hour, he was 40 minutes away from their house. That would be you calling me and saying, Pastor Mark, I, I need some help. Yeah, what's the matter? I don't feel good. I feel achy. I feel sick. Do you have any medicine, like any ibuprofen or anything that could help me today? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll bring it Thursday. Would you be a little bit concerned? Would you think I loved you much? Would you say, oh, he loves me well? In four days, he's going to get in his car and drive five minutes to my house and give me the medicine. No, you would expect me to to act instantly. If I really cared, you would become my top priority. Church, are you with me? We all feel this, right? Yet Jesus is a 40-minute walk away from coming to Lazarus' house. Think about it. He walks 40 minutes. He does the Jesus thing in 30 seconds. He walks back the 40 minutes. In three hours, he's back doing what he's currently doing, but he doesn't. He intentionally doesn't go and meet the need. He intentionally chooses not to do what Mary and Martha are asking him to do for this man he loves. Can you feel the tension John's presented to us here? He could have, and he didn't. He should have, and he wouldn't. Remember, the text is really asking us the questions, what do we do when God disappoints us? See, it says here in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter wrote, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Let me rephrase that in common language. Sometimes uh, God is late, but he's always on time. Is that fair? Because God is not restricted by the things we're restricted, time and space, power, authority. No, he has it all. So sometimes God seems late, but he's always on time. And Jesus intentionally waits here because, you see, our faith lives or dies in the face of disappointment. Your faith will live or die in how you handle when God doesn't do what you want him to do. 
It'll either die because he hasn't met your needs or you will live through it and prosper through it because you'll trust him to find out it's on the other side of our disappointment that God reveals most to us. It reveals who we find him to be and how much we trust him. Verse 7, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, while the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. This is Jesus speaking metaphorically, and what he's telling them is, I'm here for a short period of time, and while I'm here, I'm going to do my work, and there's no risk that I worry about. When it's daylight, I'm going to work, and when it's night, there will be no time for work, and I will be gone. So he's telling them, I'm not worried about what they tried to do to me in Bethany. They will not put their hands on me without my permission. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And Jesus introduces this concept of sleep, that it's just for a moment, that we all need to be awakened. And when he calls us by name, we will come to life. And the disciples weren't understanding he was speaking in this metaphor, and they, they First of all, they thought, wait a second, you could have gone and you didn't go, and now you're going to go and wake him. And if, was he sick? And I, verse 14, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I love this part of the story. And I'm, I'm not even pretending we could spend three hours, I, I'd buy you lunch, but we could spend three hours today in this room walking the text and not get all the nuances and beautiful pieces of theology and truth about who Christ is in this. So please don't rush this text. But in this moment, Thomas has been labeled over and over. John will even give us a scene later where Thomas is now known among theologians and theological circles and the church as doubting Thomas. But here's the guy who's like, I'd rather die with him than live without him. Now we wonder why when Thomas says, unless I see the nails in his wrist and his feet, unless I put my, my fingers in the holes in his side that I saw with my own eyes, I saw what they did to him. And Jesus would say to Thomas, this will not end in death. It will cross through death, but it won't end this way. But Thomas knows who Jesus is and he trusts who Jesus is. And he says, if Jesus says we need to go back because it's daylight and we need to work while it's daylight, then let's go with him. I'd rather die with him than without him. That's a huge profession of faith. Jesus is saying, God has this, trust him. So that's the scene. This is what's taken place. Jesus delays and then he goes. He goes against conventional wisdom and he stayed over against conventional wisdom. And now he goes. And what's the reaction? Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So as tradition... The, the family and members of the community would come and they would sit at the home and they would mourn with the family for a set period of time and then the body would be taken care of and Lazarus had been put in the tomb. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. This is a juxtaposition of what we studied last time. You remember, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, studying under him, and Martha was doing the work. And now with all the family and the mourners and feeding them and having everyone there, Martha who learned something the last time, rushes out to meet Jesus, and Mary stays at home. 
I'm not saying Mary did the wrong thing, but Martha's learned that being with Jesus is better than being at home. So she abandons her guests and she seeks to teach her. Notice the interplay between here. There's some very significant things pointed out. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's the truth. This is not blaming Jesus, but she knows that it could have been solved. Can you hear the disappointment? If you would have prioritized me, if you would have paid attention to me, if you would have given me what I asked for, there'd be no tears, there'd be no mourning. Lazarus would still be here. Life would be better if he had not died. You could have prevented this. And this demonstrates that moment where our faith lives or dies in the disappointments. When God doesn't do what he could have or what we think he should have. Verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. See, in the disappointment, she's going to profess faith. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in the face of this devastation. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. This is one of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. John records seven different moments where Jesus uses that expression, I am, uh, an expression of God, and he identifies how he is God. And this is one of those seven, and this is significant. You see, when Martha says to him, I know that you could have fixed this. I know that God could have worked through this. I know that God might even possibly work going forward. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. She said, I know in the resurrection, on the last day, she's believing in a promise and not seeing the presence. She believes in the promise of God, but she doesn't see the presence of God in front of her. And Jesus said, no, listen, I don't have power. I am the power. He's telling Martha, don't believe in a promise disconnected from my presence. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. In other words, this won't end in death. Verse 26, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe? This is the question of the morning. Do you believe what I've told you, who I am and what I've done? Do you believe in what I've done over who I am? Because if you simply listen to me, church, if you and I live our lives of faith by simply, if God meets the standard of procedures that we want him to, if he does the things we want him to, he will be our God, and he's not your God, you're the God. Because you're dictating to the most powerful of all powers that he must perform to your satisfaction. Do you believe in the actions or in the presence? Jesus is confronting Martha. Do you trust me? Even in the face of your greatest disappointment and pain, can we believe in a God who disappoints us? A God who doesn't give us everything we want. Martha's tired and grieved and Jesus understands. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, the Son of God who has come into the world. Oh, that's a mouthful. You want a passage to pray every morning? How about you pray John eleven twenty-seven? I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament, the Son of God who has come into the world. This is presence over promise. Verse 28, Martha goes back to Mary. The teacher is here and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. 
Now, Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. He, he stops again. Remember, sometimes Jesus is late and always on time. He makes Mary come out to him away from the crowd to pursue him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. It's fascinating to me that Mary spends a lot of time at Jesus' feet. Have you noticed? Throughout the Gospels, she's anointing his feet. She's sitting at his feet, listening. She's bowing at his feet in submission. She runs out to Jesus. She falls down in her grief at his feet. A place of humility, submission, and trust. Now we look at Jesus' response. Both sisters have come out. She says in verse 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same words Martha said. But I want you to notice here that Jesus responds to Mary differently than Martha. And I don't think it's because he liked one and didn't like the other. I don't think because one was his bud and the other was a stranger. I think Jesus is demonstrating something here. And when I was doing my research, I was really frustrated because I couldn't understand how Martha got the sermon and Mary got tears. And I began to look, and there wasn't a lot of agreement on this. And then I read a couple of scholars who intimated something, and I want to point it out to you here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, I'm told from the original Greek that the better translation would be he was, he was moved in spirit and frustrated or agitated. This moment didn't set well with him. And it wasn't because of Mary's reaction. It wasn't because of Martha's reaction. It wasn't because of the mourners. What got him was death irritates him. And I don't know about you, but doesn't that give you hope? That the God of the universe isn't dismissing our pain over death with, oh, come on, get over it. I know I'm not a good dad. I want to be. I'm just not good at it. And there have been moments my boys will come to me or have come to me in the past with an issue in their life, and I'm kind of being that much older than them, having 30 years on them. I can look back at both of them going, in five years, trust me, that will not be a big deal. You got cut from that ball team? Promise. You weren't going to play in the majors. You're going to be fine. And of course, they're like, my life is over. No, no, you don't have a life. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Right, this is why I'm not a good dad. So Heather takes care of the good part. I take care of the firm part, right? So, so in this relationship, there's been times I find myself being dismissive. I don't want to be outwardly dismissive, but inside I'm like, no, I know a whole lot more about this than you. This will not be a big issue. You weren't going to marry that one anyway. And yet in that moment, it's devastating. And I am so grateful that Jesus is not like me. Be- <laughs> that hurt. Uh, <laughs> The only amen I get in the entire month. Okay, so if that's my kid too, we're in trouble. So anyway, but what I'm grateful about Jesus doesn't look at Mary and Martha's grief and go, come on. He grieves with them. He's agitated by what sin does to us. He's agitated by the pain that death brings. He doesn't like it. It was never meant to be. We weren't supposed to die. And Jesus looks at that. Can you see the heart and compassion of our creator? Why does he treat Martha and Mary different? One scholar said it this way. With Martha, he spoke as God, and with Mary, he spoke as man. And it shows us who he was. He was all God and all man. He could, he could relate to us with a bigger vision of what he was doing in the world that we can't see with our non-spiritual eyes, but he could also 
relate to every single one of us as a man would when he saw these this beautiful family who loved and cared for him, who he loved with all of his heart, when he saw their grief, he hurt for them. He could weep with them. He was broken. Look at verse 34. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. He didn't just sniffle, he cried. He was broken by death. God doesn't look down and go, yeah, yeah, you guys earned it. Just walk through that door, I'll meet you on the other side. No, God goes through this with each one of us. Remember Jesus' words from the very beginning to his disciples. This will not what? End in death. It is the price of our sin. It is the price we pay for our rebellion. But Jesus says, that will be the the price you pay won't compare to what I'm going to do with that price. Verse 36, and the Jews said, see how he loved him? Even the Jews who were not fans of his at this moment in time who didn't understand him, They saw his humanity. They saw his compassion. They saw the Messiah relate to his people. And isn't it amazing that the God of the universe can cry with us over things that are real? I often find this as a pastor. I've I've always struggled with my emotions. It's my issue. It's no one else's. But I've always struggled with my emotions. They're either too much or none at all. And trying to find that balance. And I remember having a conversation with a guy who was telling me a story about his daughter and his eyes teared up and his chin started quivering and I could tell he was on the verge of tears and he got embarrassed because two dudes at a coffee shop and here he is sobbing and I stopped him and I remember just saying these words to him and the first time it ever came to my mind, I said, no, no, don't ever apologize for crying over what's real. And that, it struck me. Why do I fight my emotions? so? Because sometimes this world is so real, I don't know how to respond. How about you? Sometimes I laugh inappropriately. Sometimes I cry for no reason. It's like, I mean, I know the reason, but nobody else understands the reason. If we live our entire lives trying to be assessed by what people think of us, we're going to miss the real part of life. Jesus didn't care what the world thought. He just cared what it was doing to us. And he wept, and it's beautiful. And see, they said, see how he loved him? Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Disappointment. He's able to do all these other miracles. If he really loved this guy, then why do you let him die? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Martha can't stop being Martha. You see, even in our disappointment every now and then, we correct God. And she says, Lord, I know know you were running late, but... He's been in there. You see, they would take the body and they would wrap it in cloth and they would put anointing oils and ointments on it so that when the body decayed, the smell wouldn't be that horrific. And they would leave the body in the the tomb for up to a year. After it all decayed, they would go in and then take the bones and bury the bones. So what she's saying is, he's begun to decay. It's too late, Jesus. If you open the tomb, it's going to smell. And listen to what her heart says. Haven't we gone through enough? I don't want to smell that. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see, when God gets his glory, we get our joy. When our lives are to bring God glory, we find joy that we'll never find any other way. See, what Mary was able to hold on to by her time in Jesus, Mary still, or Martha still struggled with it. Verse 41, so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and he praised, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. 
I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Now, I hope I'm not mocking the scripture because I think it's funny. But in verse 41 and 42, can you hear Jesus say it like this? Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And then on the side, he's like, I know you always hear me. But anyway, so that's what I see here. He's saying out loud, Father, I love what you're about to do. And you know that I know you're going to do this, but I want them to understand that you're doing this in this moment because you love them too. It's a powerful moment. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he does. This is what John wrote. And the dead man came out. He doesn't call him Lazarus. He's like, and the dude, you know, the dead dude, the four-day dead dude, the decaying dude, he came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, I love this, take off those grave clothes and let them go. And one day, he's going to say that about you and I. Paul says we're to take off the dead man's clothes and put on new life. And one day, Jesus is going to say, Mark, come out of the tomb, and I will. And he's going to say, take off those grave clothes. You walk through death, and you see, Mark, this will not end in what? Death. It'll end in life. So what's the response? Verse 45, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. How can you get those two responses? I mean, I'm thinking about it. The number of funerals I've done. I buried within a four-day period of time. I buried my grandfather and my grandmother. If all of a sudden I get a buzz in the intercom this week at the office saying, hey, Mark, someone's here to see you, and my grandmother and grandfather walk in, I might believe. Because in 1989, we put them in a box. And in 2018, they walk in my office, yeah, I might believe that God could do something pretty awesome. And it, some people went and narked. Some went back and tattled. They told the first, can't believe what this guy's doing. He just raised somebody from the dead. And verse 53 is crucial. Do not read this story and stop before you get to verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. You see, Jesus always had the ability to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he delayed for a greater purpose than just being impressive. He didn't delay those days so that he could come in and show he had power. He could have healed him and shown that power. What he chose to do was delay. And after four days, bring a dead man out of the tomb because he knew that by drawing Lazarus out of the tomb, Jesus would be forced into his own. Are you with me? By ending Lazarus' death, Jesus would be calling for his own. Because he knew this is that fulcrum moment where the Pharisees said, we've got to silence this man permanently. He's messing with our gig. And Jesus knew by calling Lazarus out of the tomb, he'd be setting himself into his own. He chose death at this moment. And the crowd said these words, see how he loved them or him? I'll suggest this. This story should tell everybody in this room, see how much he loved us. Because by raising Lazarus, he was choosing to die. He traded his life for Lazarus. He traded his life for mine. And he's offering to trade his life for yours. In John chapter 6, in verse 40, John records Jesus as saying earlier, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. This was a promise. I want you to notice that in every one of Jesus' miracles in the book of John, He doesn't call any of them miracles. He calls them signs. 
Because a sign points to the identity of what you're looking at. A miracle is just power displayed. A sign is a demonstration. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Mary, do you believe what I'm about to do? And Father, I thank you for what you're going to do through me so that all who see it may believe in you. And Jesus went to a cross and he gave his life on that cross so you and I could come off the cross and walk in a newness of life as he took our penalty. How are we to respond to this? Well, the scripture says there's two responses. You will either choose to believe or you'll talk about what he did with no belief. And all you'll do is simply acknowledge it happened, but not understand who did it. You'll believe in the action, but not the actor. That you'll believe in the power, but not the presence. And if all this is is a resurrection story, but it's not your and my resurrection story, we have settled for a lesser story than Jesus came to show us. Worship him for who he's revealed himself to be. Because what he did for Lazarus, he'll do for you. This does not have to end in death. It can end in life and hope and peace. Love him like he loved you. Believe in him like he demonstrated you should. Follow him like he offers you the opportunity. Thank him for all that he's done and obey him because he's, even when he's late, he's right on time. Accept his death as a replacement for your own. Confess him for who he is, not just what he's done. And allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from your sins, to be baptized, to be immersed, to come out in the symbolic act of having your sins washed and the blood of Christ being applied to you and walk in newness of life. If you've not made the decision to receive Jesus, confess him and be baptized into him, I ask you today, he's offering you this. He wants to call you by name to come out and he's given you everything you need to do to trade your life for his and his for yours. But I'm not just talking to those of you who have never become disciples of Jesus. I'm talking to many of us in this room who have, but our entire walk of faith is in the past. It's not in the present. Mary and Martha, I know you believe in him, but are you living out that belief in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ today? Not just in what he can do, but in who he is. Because that's the call this morning. Around this room are four tables with lamps lit on them in the corners of this place. And our elders and staff, some men and women, are going to these tables to meet you there, should you so choose. But this morning, if you want to receive that friendship with Christ, that relationship with him, and that you choose to follow him the way he's calling you to, to not just follow his work, but follow who he is, to worship him and to live for him. We're going to tell you this morning, as we stand and sing songs that express our passion for who Jesus Christ is and what he's offering us. This morning, during that time of singing, you want to go to one of these tables, we will meet you there. Love to have a conversation about the next steps you need to take to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to receive what he offered you on the cross by entering into his own tomb to release you from yours. And for those of us who have been followers of Jesus but find ourselves stalled, we've been disappointed and discouraged, and it's become less important to us, and I challenge every single one of us, would you renew your heart and passion back to the king? He is the resurrection and the life. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.